I messaged my dad to order me lunch. It was great. I was living the life. Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian McCourt. The Olympics may be over, but here to the rescue in an oversized cape with its underwear over its trousers is football. And while it may not be jam-packed with drugs or people lying about robberies or the dodgiest decisions since Brexit, it is football and we are glad to have it back. Here to get excited about all of that and more is Paddy Higgs. Oh. Danny Isroff. Morning. And Fabian Gorsler. Hey. Fab, you're back. I am back. It was Danny last week after his trip to Africa. But this week it's you and uh, your trip to Thailand. Yes. How was it? It was amazing. Actually, I didn't want to come back. <laughs> did you want to? Did you want to tell us about the maid service? Ah, uh, well, I mean, I didn't have to do anything. I woke up, my bed was made for me, breakfast was waiting. I messaged my dad to order me lunch. It was great. I was living the life. So, what did you do over there, Fab? Did you? I mean, did you? Go shopping? Did you go back on any outrageous statements you made during the season before Mourinho was appointed? <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't call them outrageous statements, but um, you yes. should. You should probably fill in, Paddy. You want to fill in the people who are uninitiated in this? Yeah, sure. I mean, towards the end of Louis Van Gaal's uh, tenure at United, Fab, who's who's prone to making some some large statements that not always he, you know he doesn't always think through, um, decided to tell us that he would definitely not get a United jersey uh, this season if uh, United got rid of Van Gaal and appointed Mourinho. And um, I think you have three jerseys well, now, I is that right? He had a blue one yesterday and he came into work and... Yeah, exactly. he's not even hiding today. it. You're not even ashamed. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, I, I said that I wouldn't get a kit because I didn't want to finance a club that would hire Mourinho. Um, the two kits I bought in Thailand are not 100% authentic. And, and the authentic kit was presented to me as a gift. Therefore, I did not financially support the club in any way. That's a rubbish loophole. That's a, that's a rubbish loophole. If I was a lawyer and we were in court, I would win. I'm not sure you would. Yeah, I think I you, would. You'd yeah. also be in trouble for buying a... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have civil problems Anyways. as well. Yeah. Well, it is good to have you back, Fabian. Thank you. Um, we're also glad to have football back, as, as we said already. And we have uh, Manchester City back to winning ways once more with a 4-1 win over Stoke at the weekend. Danny, you had your eyes all over this one. I did. I was watching it. Um, the, the, the impressive thing for me, obviously City ran away 4-1 in the end, but it wasn't so much the football, which, which was fine, but it's, it's clear you know, it, it'll take time for, for Guardiola's philosophy to, um, to, to really work out. The impressive thing for me was the attitude from City because it was a, it was a difficult game, really windy conditions at Stoke. The tackles were flying in. It was almost a throwback to the sort of Tony Pulis um, Stoke era and it's the kind of game where so often under Pellegrini City just didn't show up and they really in this game they they, they really did you know mentally they were all there tactically they were all there um, there wasn't Yaya Toure strolling about in the midfield as if he were you know just going on his Sunday walk um, so so that was that was good to see I think if you're a City fan. You were probably also impressed by Raheem Sterling. Yeah, he's looked really good. He's looked really good. I think the thing with Sterling is, again, you can talk about tactics and, and this and that. And Pep at, at Bayern, he definitely spent a lot of time getting his wingers the ball and creating one-on-one situations. But the the big thing with Sterling is he's just a massive confidence player, sort of like like most young uh, attacking, you know, skillful wingers. And, and he sort of plays to his confidence level. And for me, Pep has really shown a lot of faith in him. You know, when he's made substitutions, he's left... 
uh, Sterling on the pitch until the until the end of the game, um, w which shows that he trusts him in kind of any situation. And and I think that probably uh, gives Sterling a lot of a lot of confidence to do what he he's been doing. What did you make of the penalty decisions? Yeah, so that was the, that was kind of the big talking point after the game was uh, was the, the the pushing and pulling in the box um, and uh, and and how the referees are going to go about officiating that. The the main thing it was for Mike me, Dean in charge. Is that right? I don't know. I don't think it was Mike Dean. I can't remember who it was, but uh, it was. I think it was. I think it, okay. Uh, he uh, the the main thing for me is that it, it, this uh, obviously we've seen this stuff goes on every game. It's almost every set piece. There's there's pushing and pulling in the box. It has to be consistent. So if you're a player going into a game, you have to know this is what I can do and this is what I can do, and it's not going to change from game to game. And honestly, I don't know what the solution is. Maybe it's the kind of UEFA style extra baton waving uh, officials next to the goal um, but but it's something early in the season that's become a flashpoint and they're going to have to figure it out Were they both penalties? I mean there was one yeah, uh, Shawcross uh, on Otamendi and then Sterling right, so, on Shawcross so, so that yeah I mean definitely uh, it, my opinion is if this, if it's foul outside the box it's a foul inside the box and that, that's always a foul outside the box the the Sterling one it looked a little less like a penalty because it was Sterling against I think who, uh, uh, Shawcross Shawcross who yeah. who uh, Shawcross a lot bigger than Sterling, and it didn't really look like he. But he he wasn't playing the ball, and if it were the other way, you'd say oh, definite, you know, kind of penalty. Um, uh, it did have a bit of a feel of a, a makeup call because I think the the ref he missed he missed one for Stoke earlier. But yeah, the main thing is it, it's either has to be called every time, and then you know players are going to figure that out quite quickly, and they're going to stop doing it, or you you're going to have to kind of let it go most of the time. Um, not sort of sometimes yes, sometimes no. Which way do you see it going? Honestly, the, the the Premier League seems to want to address things all of a sudden. For for example, the the whole respect thing with the referees—they've really come down on that. Um, so I think that'll probably be their next order of business. I mean, there has been a directive, I think, to the referees to to look at it more closely this season. Um, and you know, these things evolve. I think they'll they'll find a solution. The respect thing is working out well. It is. It is, uh, and I'm. Most surprised because there hasn't been four sending offs uh, a game, which which was my fear. Yeah, what's not working out so well at the moment is uh, Liverpool's season. Yeah, it's shocking so far. Well, they had a good win over Arsenal. They had a win. Yeah. <laughs> they have a win, but they've conceded five goals in two games. Like if you look at the defensive side, which is, I think, their biggest problem right now. You know, Coutinho, Firmino, uh, you know. They're all they're all great. They're going to do what they do, and they're going to score goals. But they've conceded five goals, and that was the the defensive frailty was the biggest problem against Burnley this weekend as well. So they lost two nil. Yeah, that's where you think it all went wrong at the back. I think I think the fact that there was no defensive chemistry was the big problem. Milner was playing left back, which was a bit of a surprising choice. Um, and then you've got Lovren and Klavan who haven't played together a lot, um, and. You could tell. I mean, the first goal was an early mistake. Klein gives the ball away. Then Sam Vokes is standing basically at the edge of the box, splits both center backs, turns, shoots, and scores. At least one center back should have been on him, even though Liverpool did have possession of the ball. And then um, the second goal uh, was a bit of a break, a counter, and Klavan misses a tackle that he should have made. Um, and then, you know, Andre Gray beats, I think it was three Liverpool players in the box. Nobody puts in a proper challenge. It kind of seemed half-hearted and everyone thought, you know, okay, he'll take care of it. I don't have to do it. And then he scored and it was 2-0. So I think 
the chemistry is definitely missing. Who would have thought taking Alberto Moreno out of a Liverpool defence would weaken it? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I mean, I think he's definitely going to be playing next week. Or I would play him. Yeah. yeah. Jurgen Klopp said he would be an idiot if Liverpool went out and bought another midfielder or another uh, left back. What do you think? Would you really be an idiot or would that just be the sensible thing to do? I mean, judging by the performances now or in the, in the two games that they've had in the Premier League, they might need some more players, and better players maybe. But, you know, Klopp is the one who watches them train and he must see something in training to feel that confidence. Unless he's bluffing and, you know, doesn't want to raise the prices of players that they're interested in. Um, so I think, you know, as a Liverpool fan, you kind of have to trust Klopp. Klopp is a great manager. Um, and uh, this is his first full season. This is his team. So let's see what he can do. I mean, you know, like you said, they have won one game. They did mm -hmm. concede three in that game, but they did win. Um, so three points in two games. It's okay. Let's see where it goes from now. What was his defense like at Dortmund, Paddy? Yeah, I mean, again, it was very much Klopp's focus is always on the ball in transition, um, and when when the when the ball is turned over, what does that Dortmund team do then? But at the same time, it still had a bit of stability. It depends on the personnel, of course. You know, uh, Lovren and and Klavan are not Hummels and and Subotic when he was in his prime before the, the knee injuries as well. And then even at, at fullback, um, Schmelzer had some very good seasons. Um, under under Klopp and and Pischek as well, very reliable. So probably he started, or at least he at least he had that core to be able to support the the, the um, transition um, for the rest of the side. Whereas I don't think he has that with with uh, with Liverpool just yet. Okay, he does have a match against Tottenham next week. He does. That should be a bit of an interesting one, though. Really interesting. I mean, uh, Spurs have started probably haven't knocked down any trees with their start to the season, but they've been solid enough. Um, some interesting additions to this Tottenham squad by Pochettino. I think at the start of the season, you would look at that and say they haven't actually probably improved their starting 11. They've improved their depth and their quality around that starting 11. But then you have a look and, and Janssen's made a, a, a pretty handy start, at least not so much in a goal scoring sense, but certainly um, as someone who looks like he's going to dig in and, and, ha and have a real go for, for Spurs. And then obviously Wanyama scoring uh, the goal on the weekend as well already sort of making his um, his presence felt and, and Ali on the bench. So um, maybe this is a better squad. I think they probably still need one midfielder. Um, putting Wanyama and Dyer next to each other in midfield feels a little... Uh, thick there, if you know what I mean. You know, there's not a lot of there's not a lot of movement, perhaps not a lot of defence splitting passes between those two, um, but they're certainly going to mop up everything that they they need to as well. So, but I think probably one addition off sort of being a nice complete squad. Where do you see the where do you see this match going? This Liverpool Tottenham one. Well, yeah, I mean Spurs have been pretty neat and tidy. Liverpool have been anything but. Um, so it's a, it's it's a nice clash. It's a good early season encounter for these two teams, who of course have designs on Champions League and, and higher. So um, I think Spurs will probably be a little too settled for Liverpool. Um, but that being said, if if Liverpool can dictate the tempo of the game um, for as long as they did against Arsenal, then it's going to be a very open one at the same time as well. So um, it really depends on who sort of takes that control quite early. Anybody else got any more thoughts on Tottenham? We haven't, we've sort of glossed over them so far in our last few podcasts. 
Yeah, well, I think um, we're going to see a, a bit of a different team, as I said, with these um, other additions, um, but also one that's sort of probably keen to arrest the, the the end of the season they had last season. They were very disappointed with how they finished, Pochettino in particular. So, um, and he said he wanted to kill them. Yeah, yeah. I think I those mean, were his exact words, I wanted to kill them. Losing like that to Liverpool, uh, sorry, to Newcastle, um, you know, oh, yeah. uh, y- you would too, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't good. No. That wasn't good at all. Um, Chelsea? Another late win for Conte's side? Yeah, over a, a, a London, a fellow London team as well, technically. Yeah. Um, and Costa scoring late as well to, to seal the three points. I think it's, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this Chelsea team develops under Conte. Um, they already look far more organised than they have in a, in a long time. Um, I think he's still figuring out what his, what his best 11 is. Um, Matic um, next to Conte perhaps has, he probably has a few doubts on that. And Fabregas was quite good when he came on um, Ooh, against Watford. What yeah. a pass that was, eh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was delicious. So, you know, um, maybe there's a chance that we, you know, he looked at the, you know, ready to sort of exit, as did Costa, of course, in two goals in two games. Um, but Schwawi made a good um, impact off the bench. And even guys like Victor Moses, you know, coming on and playing a nice little cameo. It looks like he's really going to. We sh- we should expect to see some some really positive subs from Conte after controlling large segments of the game this season. I think he showed a little bit of that with with Italy, but I think we're really going to see it with Chelsea. And again, I think not to sort of harp on the theme, but uh, with, with so many new managers coming in, you were seeing changes in mentalities of of teams. Yeah, yeah. It's such a difference than when they were going through that dark period. Uh, uh, last season, that they can come together at the end of the game and and energize themselves and 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 come out on top. So I think that's that's going to be sort of a running theme throughout the the season. You would have seen a bit of Bachoye. Did I get that uh, right? Uh, Bachoye. Yeah. Bachoye. Let's go, Bachoye. Uh, you would have saw a bit of him last season for Marseille. I think he's a really good signing. He I looks great of, so far, I, doesn't I was, he? Yeah, he does. I was I was kind of surprised that more of the big teams weren't weren't in for him. I mean, he scored a boatload of goals last season in a really really terrible team um kind of on his own and he he's he's actually is a very complete striker uh, uh and one of the underrated things about him and i think you've already seen it in the premier league uh so far for chelsea is his movement is very intelligent he's a very very clever striker. you know you know you look at him and think he's sort of a big guy who, who could be a presence in the box and score lots of goals but he's a very intelligent player and i think he'll do very well under under conte i thought you were going to say his social media game yeah, well, that too. I mean, very intelligent social media player as well. It's always worth a look at Batchwise uh, social media That's game. That's true. Yeah. What was that, Ian? He just has some funny responses. I think there was one person who tweeted him after he scored or after he did something for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And he, the guy said, oh, that was so good. I got my knob out. <laughs> and uh, Batshuayi replied to him and said, "No, don't do that." <laughs> Put it back. So uh, yeah, he seems like a good dude to me. Um, any other Premier League business before we move on, Danny? I think you want to talk about. Yeah, I think we just want have to, talk to about sort of mention the game of uh, the you know the champions against the second place from last season. Jeez, that was boring. Um, well, yeah, that, that's the thing for me. It was so it was so disappointing. Um, from and they they played that great. Uh, I think it was five three last season, didn't they? Um, and I was just really under. It looked like a, a preseason game between two relegation battlers. Like just really everyone off the pace, complete lack of quality. Then the the only time things did open up at the end of the game was when everyone just completely lost their shape, mm-hmm. um, and and the whole game started opening up. So I think uh, for both teams, I'd be a little concerned. 
Well, neither neither wanted to lose really after yeah, the yeah. starts that they made. Under made, lots right? of pressure, exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, there's a lot of focus. Obviously, far more focus on Arsenal. Um, but uh, yeah, after the starts that they had, I don't think either wanted to drop points or drop more points than they did um, with the draw. Because she only looked great. He did, yeah. I mean, he has to because they have some question marks around the rest which of the me, Yeah, which makes me... I mean, if he looked that good this week, I can't imagine why he wouldn't have been good enough to play last week. But look, Arsene Wenger knows more than me. Yeah. Imagine how he might look next to £25 million uh, signing Johnny Evans. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering where you were going yeah. with that one. It's yeah. quite a mouthful, but it was worth getting out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You heard it here first. £25 million for Johnny Evans. Uh, uh, that honestly, I mean, that's... That's taking the piss. It's not it? going to happen, is it? it? Cannot happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they know, could sign Johnny Evans, but not for twenty-five million. Jeremy Pace, um, of course, the the former West Brom chairman, he had a, he had good fun with Berahino and and um, and Spurs last season. He's obviously gone now, but it's good to see that that Albion have still got their sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Arsenal, of course, play Watford next weekend in the big battle between thirteenth and fourteenth. Did we want to give this a brief mention, Danny? Yeah, sure. It's kind okay. of interesting because uh, in a funny sort of way, both teams are under a little pressure. Obviously, the, the Arsenal situation everyone knows about. Um, then Watford's nef- next couple of games, they play after after Arsenal, they play um, West Ham away and then Man United at home. So it's conceivable that they could still be sitting on one point, you know, five, five or six games into the season if they, if they don't get a... If they don't get a result here, um, uh, that that said, I think Arsenal dealt with Watford comfortably last season. I think they won three nil and four nil, and I kind of expect you expect Arsenal to to play well now until the transfer window closes and not sign a, a player. And then, <laughs> so yeah. that, that's that's what I'm expecting. That, that's exactly what to do. Before we move on to life outside the Premier League, Fab, let's have a quick word about the top of the table clash between Manchester United and Hull. I mean, what? It, re- it really is. It's it's the top game of the weekend. Um, who would have thought that Hull would be in the top game of the weekend? I mean, you know, they have an ex-United man uh, oh, managing them. That's probably, that is probably <laughs> yeah. a big reason why. No, but for real, both teams have six points. Both teams have two wins out of two. Yeah. And um, Hull, the, the great thing about Hull is they have nothing to lose, you know? Everyone expected them to, you know, to lose their first two games, yeah. uh, you know, to be sitting on zero points and to be, I mean, I think... You know the video we we made about who's going to be relegated. I think nine out of ten people said that Hull were going to be relegated for sure. Yeah, and here they are sitting top of the table with United. Um, that being said, I think United have too much about them for Hull to get anything out of this game. I think, and it might sound a little stereotypical, but set pieces are the only way that Hull will score. Um, we saw that against Swansea as well. Their first goal came after two corners, two corners in a row. So. Um, They'll be happy to give United the ball, but the thing is they're playing a much different United than last season. United are much more clinical, they're faster in attack, and they're actually taking their chances. So I think Hull, you know, Hull can't be disappointed with zero points this weekend, and I don't think they will be. They've got six points, they're happy. Okay. That Pogba dude looks okay, doesn't he? He is everywhere, and he's a great signing, I think, yeah. yeah. I can see this. There's a sort of ultralight beam just shining from your face <laughs> right about turned now. Turned into a little fanboy. I'm over just there, very, very happy yeah. with how United are playing and the players. Oh, under playing. Mourinho. Oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> that's that's you know that's a little like question mark there if that'll continue, but we'll see. Okay. Elsewhere, Paddy, the yeah. Bundesliga. Well, not really the Bundesliga, but the DFB Pokal got underway. Anything interesting come out of this? Bremen, Bremen are out. 
Old Bremen, on. eh? Yeah. I've got go. an interesting stat about this. Go for it. Uh, where is it now? Yes, yeah, the fourth time in six seasons, Bremen have been knocked out by lower league opposition. Yeah, well, Sport for Nelotte is definitely lower league opposition. Yeah. Um, had a bit of a look. Um, the It's more of an area this club represents rather than a, a sort of town itself. Okay. Um, and the stadium was actually, I don't know if you guys saw the highlights, stadium was packed. It was a nice little boutique stadium. I think it holds about 10,500, which is roughly about the same size as the whole area as well. So I think every man and his dog was there <laughs> to watch them do that. But it was, you know, Bremen have actually signed quite well over this summer um, for them, um, for a team that struggled in the last couple of seasons. At least that's what everyone thought. Um, but uh, really poor start. And um, I know we're probably skipping ahead, but it's not going to get any better against Bayern for the season opener this well, weekend either. It got worse with the news yesterday that Max Cruz, has yeah. out, he's done his cruise shit. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And he was again one of the probably the you know the cherry on top of their their transfer moves over this summer and um with him out for what could be two months around then, uh, maybe more, yeah, maybe, maybe less. Even longer, yeah. Yeah. Um that's a real blow to them. Um so uh some very positive feelings for Bremen have evaporated almost overnight. Oh poor Bremen. Poor Bremen. Hey, at least they're not playing the champ are the uh Champions on Friday. Yeah, no, you could probably write that story right now, I think, and just change the number of goals that Bayern are going to score in this one because it's going to get really, really ugly. There's a few doubts. There were already doubts about Skripnik um, being the man to to lead this Bremen side. I think he's recognised as being someone who galvanised the squad quite well when he came in, but tactically there's been a few doubts about him and um, I think... He'd, he'd be up there for the one of the favourites to go, the, to be the first to go in the Bundesliga this season. Oh, it really is a poor, poor Bremen, eh? It is. Well, it's been a poor, poor start, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, good work. Uh, Dortmund <laughs> are also in action this weekend against Mainz. Yeah, Dortmund played last night. Um, had it pretty easy for the first half. 3-0, um, uh, they beat um, Trier. Trier, exactly. Um, Trier put up a, a good fight, though. And, you know, the 3-0 was probably... Deserved, but it, you didn't actually feel at any point that Trier were going to like, we're going to sort of roll over. And as we saw in the second half, no more goals for Dortmund. Um, Dortmund have probably got, still got a few question marks about them. They've brought a lot of new players in. Tuchel's made some strange uh, tactical decisions, um, more about personnel, sorry, than tactics um, in the first few competitive games for them. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how they go against Mainz, who are always a very organised, very hard-working side. Yeah, but I mean, Mainz, you know, Mainz also played in the DFB Pokal and they were up 3-1 in the 88th minute, conceded two goals in the last two or three minutes. So um, there's, you know, there are definitely some wobbles there for Mainz. Um, they they played an amazing season last season, uh, made it to the Europa League, uh, will be playing in Europe this season. Um, but you just have to think like that lack of concentration towards the end of the game um, against Dortmund. I feel like they have players that can easily punish that with Andre Schürrle or you know Danny knows uh, Osmane Dembele. He uh, he's he's amazing. I think he's for me he's their my favorite signing that Dortmund has made this, se- this me, season. Me too. He's <laughs> I mean I I just remember your piece on him and you were, you were talking about his movement and like how fast he was. Just watching him play last night, like I, he's amazing. He's 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 so fast and I think he's going to be the game changer against Mainz as well if he gets a chance to play, which I think he will. I think he's definitely nailed down that starting spot. Um, and I think Dortmund can safely say that they're going to start the season with a win. No Goethe. No Goethe. No Goethe, no party. No. He was at home watching the match in bed last night. 
Oh, did you catch him on Snapchat, Instagram? I caught him on, on Instagram. Yeah. He was tucked up in a very comfortable looking bed with very nice looking bed sheets. Did he spoil the results for everyone ahead of he time? He didn't spoil the results. <laughs> Not this time, no. Should we have a quick word about Gladbach Leverkusen as well? well that's, yeah, the, it's a, that's our other cra- interesting fixture cra- for the weekend. Cracking game to yeah, start the season, I think, right? It's Is fourth. it really? Go on, sell it to me. No, well, I mean, it's fourth versus third from last season. And then I think it's two two very exciting teams. Uh teams to watch and I mean on one hand you have uh, Leverkusen who I think kind of maybe might be thinking about trying to make the Bundesliga into more of a three horse race than a than a one or two um, they, they have a I mean they have a very deep squad this year I think uh, very, very talented group of players and then uh, um, Mönchengladbach who who also very talented kind of young squad um, and, and they'll be playing in the Champions League assuming they, they get through the qualifiers um, so yeah, great game. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a really competitive uh, race. Maybe not for the title just yet, but I, I, I agree with you there, Danny. Um, but certainly for the Champions League this season, um, Leverkusen are probably considered the most balanced squad outside of Bayern in the league. Um, they've added some really nice players like Kevin Folland um, this season. They've got guys like Jonathan Tarr who are only going to improve as well. Um, and you know them, um, Gladbach, Schalke. These are these are guys who will be battling for Dortmund to to fill those. Champions League spot. So to start this one off in the in the first week of the new season is a, a really nice uh, game, and I, I think I think this will go a long way to sort of tell us exactly where the squads have come over the summer. Download One Football, the most comprehensive football app in the world. This weekend saw the return of the La Liga season with Barcelona and Real Madrid getting off to winning starts. Joining us to talk about that is Sam Marsden of ESPN. Uh, We'll get to the action in a few minutes, Sam. But first off, where exactly does the Claudio Bravo move to Manchester City stand right now? That's pretty much, it's tied up. The club confirmed there's a a beginning of a deal in place after the game on Saturday, after their game against Real Betis, but they want to tie up the goalkeeper first. Um, The thought is that Jasper Sillison is coming in from Ajax. He's going to play in the Champions League for them on Wednesday, then come over on Thursday or Friday, complete the deal for Barcelona and, and that should free up the Bravo deal to go through to Manchester City. And uh, how about Joe Hart's move to Sevilla? Is there any, is there any truth in that? Um, it seems a strange one. I mean, I don't think he's the sort of keeper that would adapt maybe to, to the way Sevilla play either, given that the reasons Guardiola supposedly wants him out and I'm not sure how, how open he'd be to, to leave in England but never say never I guess uh, but okay uh, elsewhere one of the big talking points of the weekend was Sporting Hihon's game against Bilbao where Bilbao's Ineke Williams was racially abused by the home fans uh, for those who missed out on this Sam what exactly happened there? so yeah the game had to be um, had to be temporarily stopped the referee temporarily stopped the game which is which was a good thing, I guess, because there's been incidents in the past with Dani Alves and other players in Spain where it's kind of been been brushed under the carpet, the game's gone on, nothing's happened. So that's the first positive step that the game was stopped. But what's perhaps most worrying is the complete lack of coverage that's uh, that's followed followed the incident. It's kind of gone completely unmentioned in the in the sporting press. Um, I saw a fellow journalist yesterday did a roundup of sort of like how much coverage it actually had. I mean, in, in Marker, we found like a tiny little box on like page 24. So the worrying thing is just how how it's completely turned a blind eye to in Spain, really. 
I mean, if you imagine if this happened in the Premier League, you'd imagine it would be getting a lot more headlines, a lot more, a lot more attention. There'd be a lot more people writing about it, questioning why, why it happened, how to stop it, what should be done. Um, so that's something which Spanish football really needs to, really needs to think about and really needs to look into dealing with. Is this the usual treatment of of uh, racial abuse in in Spain? It's not. It's it's not. Um, it's hard to say. It does happen. Yeah, it does happen more more frequently than than it does in in England, which is all I can compare it to. Uh, it's not. It's not all. It's not usual, but it's not uncommon. I don't know. Really, I don't want to say it happens all the time, but there is often sort of things aimed towards towards black players. Yeah, a few times a season. Uh, but is it off? Is the news often buried like that? Right. Yeah. I mean, there was. Yeah. I mean, there was that one time, which stands to mind, the Danny Alves one, um, which received a little bit more, more attention, but still more from like sort of the international press because it was Danny Alves. So yeah, it is, it is, it is common for it to not really receive the the attention it should receive for it to be sort of, not looked at for the for the serious matter that it is. Yeah. Okay, uh, getting back to the the football at hand, it, it is early days. But what did you make of the of the performance of Barca and, and Madrid at the weekend? Yeah, what what was impressive about Barcelona and Madrid this weekend was the fact that because of so much international football and stuff over the summer, they both they both began the season missing a number of players. Um, Barcelona without Iniesta, Mascarano, um, and a few other guys, um, and they. Because they strengthened over the summer, they were able to still play and play well, and they were quite impressive against Betis. Messi was brilliant, Suarez was brilliant. Um, so it helps when you still got those two available. Uh, and Real Madrid too, they were without Modric, Ronaldo, two players who in the past you'd maybe think they could struggle here, especially going away to Real Sociedad, where it's maybe a place Barcelona traditionally struggled more than them. But they put in a good performance. Bale looked good, and yeah, so the big two are both looking good. Sam, I want to ask about uh, Sevilla, who started the season with a well a, a rugby score against Espanyol. Sort of everything that that some Pauli fans could have could have hoped for. They've obviously lost a lot of key players, but they've brought in some new ones. Uh, how do you think they will do this season under under San Pauli? Um Yeah, I mean, I'm, I go both ways with um, Sevilla. After the after they lost the Super Cup to Barcelona. Um, a colleague said that there could be this season's um Vallecano of of Paco Hemes and I kind of thought that could happen. They looked a little bit like if they didn't get that goal and they started conceding there were big gaps and they could could be beaten by a lot of teams and they've got a lot of things they need to click into place, a lot of new players, a lot of new ideas for them under the manager. Um so I think it was important for them to get off to a winning start. I'm not sure they're challenge for the top four I think they are possibly too open I think they will be be beaten by better teams um, Espanyol themselves have got new players a new manager so I think if they were playing teams that are better set up you know maybe an athletic Bilbao even though they lost this weekend I think maybe maybe they will will be beaten by those sort of sides but it's going to be interesting and it's going to be fun um, and hopefully we'll have more six fours Uh, one final question before we let you go, um, Sam. What happened to Atletico? I saw, I saw a fairly amazing stat after the game. There was 29 shots on goal, 27 for Atleti, two for Alaves. Yet Alaves came, came away with a draw somehow. Yeah, that Atletico game was was interesting. Atletico completely um, completely dominated the game, really, against Alaves. There was lots of chances. In the second half, they were thrown on forwards. Uh, Nicolas Gaitan came on for his debut. Torres came on. Torres hit the post. 
and it looked like it, it just looked like it wasn't going to go for them. They were without um, they were without Griezmann, who was suspended. Um, they had Gamero up front, who they've signed from Sevilla this summer. Um, he missed a couple of chances, a couple of goal mark scrambles, and it just looked like it was going to be one of those days, maybe a bit of the new boy's luck. And then in the in stoppage time, Torres gets a really debatable penalty, which on on the pattern of play, Atletico probably maybe deserved it. But in terms of the penalty, it was probably outside the area, and it was possibly not even a penalty. Um, Gamero sticks it away, and they're one nil up, and you think that's that. I think that's the 93rd minute. There's a minute to play. And then it's the classic thing of scoring and switching off and Alaves go up the other end and score an absolute stunning goal through through Manu Garcia straight away and match the point. That was Sam Marsden from ESPN. Paddy, you wanted to talk about Valencia. Yeah, it was something we, we didn't get time to get to then, but um, their result last night at, at a 4-2 loss to Las Palmas. I just saw on Twitter this morning the um, the Valencia English account um, posting a video saying the highlights from last night. It must have been a fairly short video, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, Valencia are in a little bit of trouble. It's been a rough couple of years for them. There was the feeling that they were getting a bit of stability over this summer by you know, um, perhaps letting some players go and bringing in some certain players as well. But it's been a pretty poor start. They'll be holding on to Mustafi, though. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, that's the latest. But again, it's Valencia. You just don't know. So, um, yeah, um, yeah at this stage, that's that's the noises that they're making. And so, my one fun fact because I have to have a fun fact every podcast. It seems oh, fun yeah. fact for this podcast. You know who scored for Las Palmas? Go on. It was Kevin Prince Boateng, who is now one of very few. I think maybe five or six players to have scored in all of the top four um, leagues in Europe. Very, and of course, one of Berlin's cool. favourite sons as there well. There we are. So yeah, exactly. Uh, local yeah. boy. It's yeah. a legend. There's a big mural to him here in Absolutely. Berlin. Absolutely, in Vetting there. So, yeah. Yeah. I wanted to talk about Marco Asensio. There's a lot of talk about him. He plays for Real Madrid. He does. He's <laughs> 20 years old, I believe. <laughs> yeah. And he scored a beautiful goal at the weekend. He did. I mean, it's a, it's a kid who's actually been at Madrid for a while now. They re-announced him, or at least his mm-hmm. ascension to the first team um, a couple of weeks back. He's keeping um, a couple of really big-name players out of the squad, like James and, and Isco, um, out of the team, sorry. Um, so, yeah, he looks like he's got a really bright future. Everyone is talking about him in, in Madrid. Zidane said it breaks his heart to choose the team. Oh. Or something along those lines. Yeah. Fab? I mean, what's nice to see is that, you know, he isn't a marquee signing. He came in two years ago, so not technically a youth product, but also not a big, you know, 50, 60 million euro signing. And he's keeping big name players on the bench, as Paddy said. So I think Real Madrid as a club and its fans and followers will be happy to see something like that as well. Bit like that Martin Ordegaard guy. A little bit. Whatever happened to him, eh? Where is he even these days? Well, he was going on loan yeah, to was, Nice or Lille. I, I think someone? I read today he was going to. Well, he was going to go to Rennes on loan, yeah. but they, ah, they've yeah. decided um, that's not going to happen. So I don't know where he is. Yeah, the latest is that his uh, future is no closer to being um, sorted out. So he's he's staying at Madrid at this point, unless someone else is to come in. It, it's a bit of a strange one. I mean, that sort of loan for a 17-year-old shouldn't hit too many roadblocks, in my opinion. Um, so again, like every like. Like his big big move to, to Real Madrid. Nothing seems to be particularly simple with Martin Odegaard. No, not, not at all. Okay, that's all from us today. My thanks to Paddy, Danny, Fabi and Sam and our producer Damien. If you've got any comments about this week or questions for next week, you can hit us up at OneFootball on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening. Bye.